Welcome to the RV Dreaming Podcast. And welcome to the RV Dreaming Podcast. I'm Stuart from Stuart Doing Stuff. I hope you follow me on Instagram because a lot of the things that you see on my Instagram stories, you are going to hear about here on the podcast. So if you haven't done so already, please go over and find me on Instagram at Stuart Doing Stuff. I'm also your host of the RV Dreaming Podcast, and we have so much stuff to talk about today, so many things to go over. If you've been following me, You know that I've just completed a month-long trip through Canada. I started in Wyoming. I went up through Coots, uh, Canada, Alberta. Went up through uh, Calgary and then headed west to Vancouver. It took about a month for me to be able to to do all that. And, And I did it without any real reservations. Total boondocking, total stealth camping. And this was a trip that I've had planned for a while. So if, if you've followed me, you know I was in a 40-foot Super C and I was towing a Jeep. So I was a big thing. I always said when I had that Super C that it never went anywhere on accident. It, it always it always had a plan. Even, even trips to the gas station. When I first got it, I tried to save some money and do like normal fill-ups at the normal gas stations. Um, and then I got stuck a few times and I was like, no, this is, this is not going to work. I'm going to, I'm going to have to use the truck stops. I mean, that's, they're more expensive, but I, I joined the fuel program system. Anyways, that rig never went anywhere on accident. It it got every turn-by-turn direction. I knew exactly where I was going. I knew where I was going to stop for gas. I knew when I was going to get there. I mean, nothing, again, happened by accident. And then about a year ago, I moved into the van. It's a 24-foot Sprinter, uh, the Winnebago era. And my travel habits completely changed. Like, a lot of times, I don't have reservations. I don't think about where I'm going. I don't think about what I'm doing. I just kind of do. And that's how I planned my Canada trip. I was there for four weeks. And all I knew is that I was going to come in through Washington. Or, I'm sorry, I knew it was going to come in through Wyoming. I was going to go to Calgary. I was going to hang a left and take the Trans-Canada Highway to Vancouver and then come back into Washington. That's pretty much all I knew. I knew somewhere in the middle of that trip um, there was a, a Burning Man event called Burn in the Forest, and it was in Merritt, British Columbia, and that was what I used as my kind of my my anchor point to say, okay, I know that this is a firm date, so I'm going to come in through Canada on this day, and I've got to be here by this day, and then after that, then I can go into Vancouver, and I can do pretty much whatever I wanted. So, because of that, I I ended up spending some nights at truck stops. Actually, not even truck stops. They were like rest stops, but there were a lot of truckers there. I ended up doing a lot of stealth camping. Uh, ended up being in a lot of uh, public parking lots that were like 20 in Calgary. I found this great parking lot. It's on the north side of Calgary, on this side of the river, and it's a 24-hour lot. I think it was like six or eight dollars for the overnight, from like 10 p.m. until like 8 a.m. or something like that. But what was great about it is, a, it was dark. B, it was hardly anyone was there, or if anyone was even there at all. And C, 
It was a great walk or bike ride over a bridge, a pedestrian bridge, to get you right into downtown Calgary. It was the greatest spot that I think I was, was able, able to find. And um, and it really, really paid off because I was just able to walk on over there and leave the van and walk over or bike over, uh, kind of check out the town and then come on back. And it was it was fantastic. I think I stayed in that lot for two or three nights and it cost hardly any money. And it was so much quieter than uh, sleeping on the side of the roads and, and whatever, because when I was in Vancouver, that's pretty much all I was able to do is find uh, sides of roads and neighborhoods or parks. They're they're kind of stricter over there with their street signs and such. And, and if you've ever been to Vancouver, it's just so highly densely compact. Like, again, I'm in a 24-foot van, and there's no way, no way I can drive this or park it anywhere downtown. So I always had to park on the outskirts somewhere and then bike in. As a matter of fact, I don't know if I've, I've mentioned this back um, a while ago, probably, I want to say, maybe four months ago or so, I actually had my bike stolen my e-bike when I was in uh, Long Beach when I was dealing with some of the issues for the bar, and it was gone. I, I it was it was there one minute and then it was gone the next. It happened so fast, and I I didn't know what I wanted to do because on my bike rack the way I, I traveled with it I had the tow hitch and then I had the bike rack and it added an extra like four or five feet to the back of the van and that was hard when I'm trying to park and I'm trying to go to shopping and centers and whatever. So I didn't really want to keep using that I, I thought this would be a good opportunity to kind of reinvent how I traveled with my my transportation devices like my bikes and scooters and stuff so I said well can I do this Canada leg of my trip that I want to do without a bike or without a scooter and I was like yes I'll just push through it but by the time I got to Vancouver there was just no way I, I, I could explore that city the way I wanted to without something everybody's on a bike or everybody's on a scooter in Vancouver. So I ended up buying a little electric scooter when I was there that I just kind of keep in the van now. And, and this actually, this solution works out great because I just fold it down and I strap it to the passenger seat right in between the driver and the passenger seat. And there's still plenty of room for me to walk in, walk around. Um, I just have to step over the handlebars, but it's fantastic. It's easy to get in and out. It's lightweight, like 60 pounds. Uh, or so and it doesn't go anywhere one strap and it's covered and, and so I'm really really happy with uh, with my decision to get that even though it was way more expensive in Canada and I bought it used uh, I could have got a new one for the same price that I paid in Canada for a used one but it was just one of those things where I was like you know what in order to see what I want to see and do what I want to do. I, I need this. It was just a, it was just a no brainer. I, I did, <laughs> I did look at the one wheel. And if you guys know that it's like a hovering skateboard where you put one foot in front of the other is a big old wheel right in the center. Um, I went to go and look at a few of those cause I loved how they're small and compact, but <laughs> you know what? I, I can't ride those. I'm, I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't get up on it. I couldn't go forward. I couldn't go backwards. I was constantly falling. Even the guys that tried to teach me when I was looking at them, I was like, no, this isn't This isn't going to work. So I ended up getting the 9-bot uh, Segway scooter again. This time I got the G65. It's the third 9-bot Segway that I've gotten, I've, I've had over the last, I don't know, seven years or so because I keep outgrowing it. So this one is the G65. 
it's not the biggest G series, but it still goes 23 miles an hour. I think it has a uh, a top speed of 23 miles an hour and a range of about 40 miles. So it works fine. I, it, anyways, it, it it's a, a very good thing. And and um, when you're traveling, whether you're in your van or you're in an RV or somewhere like that, it's just a lot easier to see more. If you're if you have an e-bike of some sort or a bike or a scooter or something, you're listening to the RV Dreaming podcast. Be sure to subscribe and thanks for listening. Every day I'm looking for a way to return to the town when everything was easy to learn. Don't know when it started to get so serious. Back to the RV Dreaming Podcast. That was Remedy by Sven Carlson. You're listening to the RV Dreaming Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and thanks for listening. The other thing I used a lot, especially in Vancouver, was Boondockers Welcome. And Boondockers Welcome is is owned by Harvest Host now, if you're familiar. But Boondockers, it's mostly homes. And what I loved, what I absolutely loved about Boondockers Welcome is a lot of them have driveways permission to stay uh, they even help charge up your batteries. They'll give you water if you if you need water. 
you just can't dump there, but you can fill up your tanks, you can charge up your batteries, um, and and more importantly, you get a local guide. You get somebody where you can talk to, and there was this one space I stayed at in Vancouver, and I absolutely love her for this. When I first got there, she gave me this map, and she said, here's where the closest dump station is. Here's where um, you can get to the train, the light rail metro thing that'll take you all the way into the downtown. It'll take about 20 minutes. She goes, here's a great area with just a ton of bars and restaurants and things that you can shopping and things that you can do. And that's like a 15 minute walk, you know, from where we're at. I mean, she had this great map, great local tips. And and that's something that you, you can't get anywhere you know, that, that local expertise, especially when you're going just kind of winging it, I, I found that incredibly valuable. The other thing I'll do is is in the States, I'm a member of the Elks Lodge, and when I'm somewhere I've never been before and I'll stay there for a night or two, that's what, that's what I'll do is I'll go and hang out and I'll talk to the locals at the lodge. And then they'll say, go do this, go do that, don't do this, stay away from these neighborhoods or what, whatever they might tell you. And, and that's kind of how I base my time in that city wherever I'm going to be so don't ever underestimate the power of locals and their willingness and their ability to help because that's all they want to do they they know the good spots to go they know where to park to avoid the tourists they know the times and days to go and not go I mean think about where you're from the city that you're in you you do that place like the back of your hand the places the the that you can go park where you don't have to pay the best times to go I mean tap into those local resources because uh, they're really gonna make your your stay more enjoyable and th- and that's what happened with me in in Vancouver and that's what I really loved about the Boondockers Welcome not only am I able to have a safe place to stay I can get my batteries charged and I can get local tips so if you haven't joined Boondockers Welcome or Harvest Host I highly recommend it. Now, on the flip side, harvest hosts are businesses that you stay at, wineries, breweries, farms, and stuff like that. And and I love the program, but I've sensed a big difference between the harvest host people and the boondockers welcome people. Harvest hosts are businesses. They're there because they're looking to try and increase their revenue, which is great. Boondockers welcome are typically other RVers that are just opening their home to other RVers. That's a big difference because they know the lifestyle, they travel, they understand what we do and how we move around from place to place and what we're looking for. That's the difference. The Harvest Host people seem to find a nickel and dime. If you want power, it's going to be 20 bucks. If you want this, they want to know how much you're spending and, and, and all this other stuff, which I'm fine with. If I'm going to stay there, I'm going to, I'm going to spend. But the Boondockers Welcome people, I tried to offer money for charging my batteries, and they wouldn't take it. You know, I try to, um, if I'm here and I know that the the host is home, I'll message them and say, hey, uh, let's come out on the porch and, and, hey, let's split this bottle of wine or have a glass of wine that I got at this winery the other day or something like that. Um, It's just a a, a different vibe, you know, and and I find it a lot of fun. It, It definitely is. So they're both great, but I've come away from this experience with a much greater appreciation 
of the people who are part of the Moondockers Welcome Post. I see you in the corner. You got all the right moves to turn into the groove all the time. What an honor. It's a show that never ends. The lions in the thin and the lamb. Take a look, what a harmless, tender and mild. What an innocent child. But deep down under the surface, under the ground, lies a different style. The lions and the deceivers. You can fool me all you want, but I won't let you into my life. things that I was most nervous about that most people asked me about was what was it like crossing the border into Canada in an RV? Because you always hear about people getting searched, getting pulled over, uh, all the things that you can and cannot bring into the country. And and what was it like for you? So I'll, I'll talk about my experience going in 
and my experience going out. They were similar, but they were different. Because when you're going into Canada, you're being questioned by Canadian law enforcement and Canadian Border Patrol. They're determining who's coming into their country. And the same thing on the U.S. side, when you're getting back in, you're being questioned by U.S. government officials, Border Patrol. So two different priorities, two different sets of standards, similar rules, but different experiences. So going into the country, it was going into Canada. It was it was actually very easy. So I pulled up, I gave him my passport card, and then I also had my vet rabies certifications for the cats, and they didn't even need that. They didn't ask for that, anything. Uh, they asked me what I was carrying, if I had any fr- uh, fruits or vegetables. They asked about liquor and drugs and weapons. They um, asked how long I was going to be here. And the one thing I would say is you got to keep it professional at this time. Now is not the time to make friends or make jokes or anything like that. It's kind of like going through a TSA airport where you don't want to make jokes about hijacking or terrorism or whatever as you're going through the airport screening TSA thing. Same thing applies to Border Patrol. You want to keep it short, simple, professional. Um, I had already removed a lot of liquor that I had. I probably didn't really need to do that. Um, but I did bring some wine in there. I brought in some, uh, some other stuff. I didn't have any fruits or vegetables to begin with. So that wasn't like a big deal to me and everything else. Yeah. I just left in a storage unit, uh, with, with my razor in Idaho that I'm going to go back and, and pick up. So they didn't really need a lot of stuff. They had their window, they opened, they closed, they talked, they asked me a couple questions. They were mostly concerned if I had fruits or vegetables, which I did not. They were concerned about how long I was going to be in the country and where I planned to go. So I just told them, I said, well, I'm coming in today. And then I said, I have reservations here. That was the burn in the forest. And I said, then I'm going to head to Vancouver and I'm going to be there until the date that I was there. And then he goes, okay, cool. They went back to his computer, closed the window. Then he opened it up again, gave me my passport and said, all right, great. Have a good time. And that was it. Getting into the country. The entire process that it took me to get there from the border to the country was was less than five minutes. There was there was a couple cars in front of me that wasn't a big deal, but just going in and and not an issue, no 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 problems at all. So that was fantastic. That was a very easy thing. Then I went over to Coots and we took some photos and and all that. You'll see all that on my Instagram at Stuart doing stuff. So that was a lot of fun and that was really easy surprisingly easy. So now coming back into the United States. Now, coming back into the country that I'm a citizen of, I didn't know what the rules were. I didn't know if I can bring liquor in. I didn't know if I can do this because I picked up some wines from different wineries in Canada. But by the way, I didn't know there were so many wineries up in Canada and even over on Victoria Island and some harvesters. I mean, there's some great stuff. So I, I hit up a lot of them and I bought bottles, you know, and the rules said going into Canada, you can only bring like one bottle, but I brought multiple back and I was like, I'm just going to risk it. You know, they're sealed and it's a touristy kind of a thing. If I have to pay a tariff, I'll pay whatever, but I'm going to disclose it for sure. So coming back into Canada, I came back in on a Sunday, which was one of the busier times. It was Sunday night, like around 6 o'clock in the evening. Um, I stayed in line for about 30 minutes before getting to the window. 
And the guy who came over to me, I gave him my passport. He um, went to go look for my license plate number, and instead he used his little barcode scanner. So I'm a Texas resident, and in Texas you have a barcode on your registration that you put in your front window. So we scanned that. He went back into his little thing. He looked at my passport card. Then he wanted to come into the van. And I was like, he goes, is the side door unlocked? I said, no, I'll unlock it for you. And I unlocked it. And he just popped his head in. I think he was probably just making sure there was no other people in the van because you can't really see. So he popped his head in. And then he said, can I open your fridge just to make sure you don't have any fruits or vegetables? I was like, yeah. So he popped his, uh, he opened the fridge and just kind of looked around. And there was beer cans in there, there was food, there was leftover things, frozen stuff, he didn't care about that, um, beforehand, he did ask if I was carrying anything, I said, yeah, just some, uh, wines from the wineries and, and stuff like that, I think I had like four or five bottles or something like that, he didn't, again, didn't even care, he just like, okay, okay, um, I think that you draw more red flags when you're, when you're going through that, if you say you don't have anything, like, if you say, oh, no, I didn't bring anything back, especially when they see that you've been there for a month and you go, oh, no, I didn't bring anything back, I think that draws some red flags. Now, if you were just going in for a weekend, you live in Seattle or up in Washington, you just pop over there all the time, maybe you're there once or twice a month, let's say, it may not be so worrisome. But someone who is up there like myself for a month on a longer extended vacation, you're going to pick stuff up. You might pick up some honey or some syrups or something and it's going to draw red flags if you say, I'm not bringing anything back. That's total bull. I think they know it. So it's it's better to to tell them. There was this one time. So I went into Algodona's a lot from the Yuma area, Algodona's, Mexico. And I went in there one time and I was like, I'm here a lot. I don't want to buy anything. I don't need anything. Um, but at the same time, I didn't want to go back through Border Patrol. And when they say, what are you bringing back? I didn't want to say nothing because... I think that's just, you know, they just kind of look at you funny and like, okay, wait a minute, what are you doing here? So I went and bought a bottle of tequila. Why? Because I knew I'd use it. <laughs> so at least I, at least then they go, what are you bringing back? And I was like, ah, just a bottle of tequila this time. And then they can see through my import coming or my my back and forth things with my passport that, oh yeah, I'm here during this time of year a lot. So it makes sense for for that to happen where I don't think that they really give it a second thought. And again, I don't know. This is just all my hypotheticals. But if I were in their shoes, I would be more suspicious of the people that say they don't have anything than the ones that say, oh yeah, here's what I have, this, this, this. Um, but that's just me. See the action on Instagram. Stuart doing stuff. Hear about it on the podcast. Cause right here, right here. 
ask me about the money and the exchange rate and foreign transaction fees and all that other stuff. Here's what I'm going to say about that. I have a funny story, but let me give you some facts. I did not pay a single foreign transaction fee and I was able to do about 95% of everything I did all month long in Canada with my standard Visa credit card that I got from Chase Bank. And what I really love about that is when you're out and about and everything's in Canadian dollars and the exchange rate is about 75 to 1. So a dollar U.S. is 75 cents Canadian. So let's say you get a bill for 100 Canadian dollars. You give them your Visa card and then it'll automatically charge you the U.S. equivalent. So like 75 bucks. No fees, no notice, no no transaction, nothing. It was just the simplest form And I was able to do, like, again, everything almost by credit card. The only time, the only time I was not able to use my credit card was when I was at a laundromat. When I needed to do laundry, the the systems are broken there, you know. So you have your loonies and you have your toonies or or dollar and two dollar coins. But I did laundry twice in Canada. And okay, so let me tell you this story first. The very first <laughs> All right. This is going to make me look bad, but whatever. <laughs> so first time I went to go do laundry, I knew that I would probably have to get money, Canadian money, but my hope was and my fingers were crossed that I can find a laundromat that would just take the debit and credit cards. Unfortunately, they didn't exist. There, there are. I did not find a single one my entire time. So I went in there and I said I had like twenty U.S. dollars. See the action on Instagram. I wanted Stuart to see. Doing stuff. Hear about it on the podcast. 
Well, I think that's it for this episode of the RV Dreaming Podcast. This is just some of the high-level, most frequently asked questions about my Canada trip. We'll be diving into a lot more of everything Canada and all of the experiences I had in future episodes. We're also going to have a great, amazing guests that we're going to be talking to. So if you haven't done so already, be sure to hit that like and subscribe button and follow me at the RV Dreaming Podcast and on Instagram at Stuart Doing Stuff. Thanks for listening to the RV Dreaming the Podcast. See the action on Instagram. Stuart Doing okay, Stuff. Cool. You're about it on so the podcast. So he took my hundred dollars. Sure we'll see you change, in the next and I episode. Went back to the laundromat. I got my loonies. I got my tunies. I got my, all my stuff that I needed to do the laundry. And then I went back to the casino and I lost like 50 bucks, 50 US dollars over there at whatever. But it was it was fine. It was fun. Uh, the games suck, by the way. They were very elementary um, when it came to casino gaming. But anyways, it was a nice fun. and talked to the guy a little bit, had a Coke, and, um, and uh, came back, got my laundry done, and it was all said and done. It wasn't until like a day or two later where I realized I gave this guy at the casino 100 US dollars. He gave me 100 Canadian dollars. That's not right. <laughs> you know, I missed the exchange rate. I should have gotten $125 back, not 100 So he took me not only for $25 because of the exchange rate, he also took me for another $50 because he made me play the freaking games at the casino. <sighs> Anyways, that was the only time I needed money. You know, there's another time that I was at a different laundromat. This was a little further west in British Columbia. The washing machines took loonies and toonies, but the dryers took U.S. quarters, which I just didn't understand either. I was just like, Argh. So anyways, when you go into town or you go into Canada, if you don't need to do laundry... Don't, you don't need. You really don't need coins. I, I, I did. I, you really don't need it. But if, if you're going to do it, just and you're going to get change at a shady place like a casino, just remember the exchange rate. Thanks for listening to the RV Dreaming podcast. See the action on Instagram. Stuart doing stuff. Hear about it on the podcast. Be sure to subscribe. We'll see you in the next episode.